What's up, everyone? Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Copon. It's July 30, 2021, and this is Lift and Learn episode 46. In this episode, I'll be talking about the best chess exercises you can do and how hard you should be working out in the gym. Before that, though, I'll talk a bit about what I've been up to lately, and that might include fitness-related topics, and it might not. If you want to follow me, your host, on Instagram, it's isaiah.copon, and you can also check out my website, isaiahcopon.com. The podcast is on Instagram, at Lift and Learn Podcast, on Twitter, at Lift and Learn Pod, and also on Facebook. You can just search Lift and Learn Podcast. With that being said, let's get into it. So the Tokyo Olympics 2020 is officially under away in 2021 because of COVID and actually still going on despite all the problems and the protests. I have read that the ratings are down for this year, but whatever, I'm watching it because if I'm at home in the morning, there's honestly nothing else to watch since there's like a 13 hour difference. So that means prime time hours over there are like, or sorry, over here are like 4 to 7 a.m. or something like that. Canada has actually been pretty good at the Summer Olympics this year, but obviously we do better during the Winter Olympics. The women's swimming relay team won one of the first medals that Canada won at the Games, and a Filipino girl, Kayla Sanchez, was on the team, and she was actually the first to swim for the race. This was the 4x100 meter freestyle, if I remember correctly. They also had Rebecca Smith on there and Maggie McNeil, who she actually won gold in her own, um, what was it, 100 meter butterfly event a few days later. Uh, She was on the team. And the anchor, if that's what they call it in swimming, the last swimmer was Penny Oleksiak, who went absolutely ham coming back to win that silver medal in the relay. So before Penny actually got into the pool or jumped in the pool, Canada was probably like in fourth or fifth place, but Penny just caught up and managed to grab second for the team, which is basically coming in first in that event since Australia won gold easily and broke the world record in that event. The Aussies clocked in at 329, while the Canadians barely beat the US with a 3 minute 32 second uh, swim. And I think they won by like 0.03 or 0.003. It was really close. And I pretty much wrote out all the athletes here who have medaled so far in the games for Canada. But there was a huge win for the Philippines that I just have to talk about since that's my ethnicity. So jumping over to the Philippines real quick. They've been doing the Olympics since 1924 and have never won a gold medal until this year. So that's a 97-year-old drought in the Olympics, and it actually came to an end in weightlifting by Heidelin Diaz, and this is actually her fourth Olympics. She's been in it since 2008. I believe she won silver in 2016, I'm not sure. So she competed in the 55-kilogram weight class, and she managed to hit a 97-kilogram snatch, 
which is 213 pounds. And she also hit an Olympic record, 170, 170, sorry, Olympic record was 127 kilograms on the clean and jerk. And that's 280 pounds, which is just insane. Her total lifts were 224 kilograms. Wait, did I do that math correctly? Yes. 224 kilograms, which was also an Olympic record. And the emotion there in her face and her coaches was unbelievable. So that was the first ever gold medal in Philippines history. And it only took 97 years. But honestly, that was amazing to see. And her prize was roughly 600,000 US dollars. She got two houses and free flights from Philippine Airlines or something like that. So I guess I'm going to try to become an Olympic champion for 2028. <laughs> two more Olympics. I'm going to I'm going to go for it, man. I want two houses. That'd be sick. All right. So as of this recording on Thursday afternoon, I think day six just finished up in Tokyo. So Canada has 10 medals, two gold, three silver and five bronze. And like I said earlier, I wrote out all the names and their event because I'm an athlete at heart and watching these athletes basically be the best in the world at what they do is amazing to watch. So let's start with the bronze medal winners and go up from there. So Penny Alexiak, I mentioned her already. She was the anchor for the relay swim team. She had her own event to compete in and that was the 200 meter freestyle. She was ahead for the first part of the race, but slid back to third. But she still got the bronze medal, which is her sixth Olympic medal in her career, which I think is tied for the most decorated Canadian with the most medals or whatever. That's what they call it at the Olympics, the most decorated. I remember when uh, the media was like using that term back in the day when Michael Phelps had like, I don't even know how many medals I lost track. Alright, so Canada also got a softball bronze medal, so shout out to that women's team. That was actually Canada's first ever medal in softball. They beat Mexico in the bronze medal game, and they actually had to play through some rain too, so that made it a bit more dramatic. They were up 2 to nothing pretty early, but eventually Mexico tied it up. And then Canada went up 3-2 to two in the 5th inning, and then they ended up holding the lead at that point for the bronze. Canada actually had two bronze medals in judo by Jessica Klimkate, which was in the 57 kilogram category, and Catherine Beauchemin Pinard. Hopefully, I didn't butcher that. And she got hers in the 63 kilogram category. I tried to watch those, but honestly, I didn't really understand what was going on. They were trying to flip each other, but I guess both, like, everybody had good defense, and both matches went into an overtime. Or like a sudden death kind of thing. So there you go. That's the fourth bronze. Or those are the four. And there's one more actually. So the last bronze that Canada got was yesterday. And that was in rowing. Another women's bronze medal. This time in rowing doubles. They almost got the silver. But they looked happy with that bronze medal. Alright. So the silver so far. So one of the silvers I already mentioned, which was the women's 4x100 freestyle relay in the water. And they got a few water event silver medals, or whatever, the aquatics field. There was a diving pair of Canadians who got silver, Jennifer Abel and Melissa Citrini Boileau. They're French, and I hope I didn't mess that up. 
It was kind of cool actually watching them count in French to time their dives. And that's the only time I'll accept the use of the French language, only at the Olympics. Again, nobody's going to touch China in that event. They win gold almost all the time with their dives. So the Canadians got second, and I think Germany was third. And the last silver medal, the third one that Canada has, was by Kylie Mass. And she got that in the 100-meter swimming backstroke. She also almost won. It was really close, but Australia ended up winning that gold with an Olympic record. Alright, so speaking of gold medals, I mentioned earlier that Margaret McNeil from the swim team won her event, which was the 100-meter butterfly, and Canada's other gold medal was actually in weightlifting. Maude Charon, she won gold in the 64-kilogram weight class. She had a 105-kilogram snatch and a 131-kilogram clean and jerk for the win, and both lifts were actually butter. That was a 236 kilogram total. And you might have noticed something with all of the Canadian medals that have been won so far. They've all been won by women. All 10 medals so far. Bruh, what are the men doing out there? They're slacking hard. Okay, so there was actually some other awesome stuff regarding weightlifting at the Olympics. This guy stood on one leg. Did you see that? This guy from China, Li Fabin, uh, that's probably not his real name, but this was the clean and jerk. So off the floor, you have to clean the weight to your chest. So from the floor, you need to bring the weight up and into like a front squat position and then stand up. So he did that part. And from that, you need to go or from that standing front squat position, you need to jump into a split squat kind of lunge and push the bar over your head. So this guy did that with 166 kilograms, three times his own body weight, and this guy completed the lift and had so much confidence that this guy stood on one leg for like a second or two. That was just insanity. Obviously, he won gold in the 61 kilogram category. That's basically 366 pounds. Jesus Christ. So, talking about other countries for a bit, too. There's also the skateboarding event. I don't know if that's new or not, but you basically get one shot at landing a trick. And in this event, a 13-year-old won gold, a 13-year-old won silver, and a 15-year-old won bronze. That's just crazy. It was the youngest podium ever, averaging 14 years and whatever amount of days. And those aren't even the youngest people at the games. There's actually a 12-year-old female player, I believe, in t table tennis or ping pong. And I don't know if you've seen this other video. I mean, sorry, I've been watching a lot of sports and a lot of Olympic content this week. There was this video of Ahmed Hafnaoui. Oh man, I, pro I said that wrong for sure, but it was a swimmer, Ahmed Hafnaoui. But he's a swimmer from Tunisia, and there was a viral video where his family was cheering him on at the event at their house, I guess. He was in the 8th lane. This guy barely qualified. So how swimming works is that the fastest lanes are actually in the middle. So lanes 3, 4, and 5 are usually the fastest swimmers according to their heat times or whatever. So this guy was in lane 8, and if you've seen the video of the family cheering him on, they were just yelling and screaming at the TV, which 
Honestly, that was amazing to watch. And he actually ended up getting the gold medal so unexpectedly. And even the emotion on his own face was just incredible. He wasn't expecting to win, but he swam a good race. Alright, so quick side note. That video with the family cheering, that was probably just my second favorite video of the week. Taking the number one spot was this Australian coach celebrating one of his swimmers' victories. Yo, that was just so funny. This Australian coach went absolutely insane after one of his athletes won. I don't even know exactly what the story is behind this, but his reaction was just crazy. Even the Japanese security guards were just laughing and didn't really know what else to do but just let him selly hard. And basketball. Okay, so the season is over, but there's still actually basketball going on at the Olympics. Devin Booker from Phoenix had to board a flight to Japan with two players from the team that beat them in the finals. Because uh, from the Bucks, they got Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. Uh, they also joined Team USA. And Team USA actually ended up losing their first real game versus France. That was on Sunday. And that was obviously an upset. That was their first loss in the Olympics since 2004, I think. For some reason, I don't know, Team, Team USA has this trend of losing every 16 years or every four Olympics, if I'm remembering that stat correctly. So they ended up losing their first game at the Olympics, but they did dominate in their second game, which they won, I think, over Iran or something. All right, so last thing about basketball at the Olympics, that Luka Doncic guy from Dallas, well, he's leading the Slovenia team. And in his Olympic debut against Argentina, I think it was, Doncic dropped 48 points, which is just insane. Okay, so hockey, and there was a lot of hockey news since earlier this week, the offseason where teams can actually sign and trade players. That all kicked off this week too, so it was a busy week. I've been talking about sports for so long now, so I don't want to dive too deep into this and mention every single sign and trade, but... Honestly, it's been a crazy offseason for the NHL, so I'll just stick to the Blackhawks and what they did. So, a few days before the offseason was the NHL draft, and the Blackhawks selected Kirby Doc's younger brother, Colton Doc, and then during the offseason, they also signed Seth Jones. So, now the Blackhawks have the Doc brothers and the Jones brothers. The league actually went a little crazy with the family ties, honestly. There's already Quinn Hughes on the Canucks, Jack Hughes, which is his brother, he's on the Devils, and the Devils, during the draft, they also picked up the youngest brother, Luke Hughes, and they were all selected in the top 10 in the draft, so that's just crazy. And there were other instances of that for this year's draft, but I can't remember all the brothers that were selected. The Blackhawks made some huge moves, though, this offseason, it seems like they're really trying to win the cup before Taves and Kane's contract is up, and while they're still kinda in their prime age, or maybe a bit past their prime at this point. So, like I said, uh, they picked up Seth Jones, who's a defenseman. He's probably the biggest one of the draft, or sorry, the biggest one of the offseason. And I think they overpaid him a little bit, but if he hits a new level with his play, then maybe it'll work out, but... Honestly, signing him for eight years, and I think it was nine and a half million, man, that seems high. They also went out and got Marc-Andre Fleury for basically nothing. 
Now, he says he might retire, though, because he doesn't want to move his family, and he already loved it and had a home in Vegas. Man, Vegas did him so dirty. The Blackhawks also picked up Tyler Johnson. Again, a bit expensive, but the Hawks are going for it this year, so I'm looking forward to this season. It seems like they're going all in, uh, maybe to distract everyone from the fact that they've got that ongoing sexual assault case going on. So Jonathan Taves, the captain, he'll be back playing. Patrick Kane, possibly flurry in net, but I doubt it. We'll have a year of Seth Jones, Tyler Johnson, Jake McCabe, who was a cap-friendly deal, and Kirby Dock and Nylander will play this year too, so honestly the hockey season can't come fast enough. And last thing about sports, and this time let's go baseball. I actually mentioned a while ago on here that the Cleveland Indians were changing their name to the Cleveland Wahoos, but I was actually so wrong, and I'm here to correct myself. Honestly, I should have known that that wasn't going to be the real name, because it's just weird to say. So, officially, starting next season, they're actually changing their name from the Cleveland Indians to the Cleveland Guardians. Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't know. Alright, so last thing before I get into the topics for this week, finally. There was a trailer for Dexter that was released this week, and at the end it said that it's coming back for November 7. Man, I'm super excited for this one, because even the last few seasons that were just so-so, I still thought they were good. It's just the ending that was just not the best. But let's hope this upcoming season is better, since it is being written by the original writer of the first few seasons of the show. Question 1. What are the best chest exercises to do? Alright, so a little confession, I love chest day. That's really the reason why I even lift in the first place. I just lift to get closer to chest day, that's the only reason why I do legs just so I can be a step closer to doing chest again. I joke, kind of. Now, back in the day, I used to have a chest day where I'd only do chest exercises for a few hours, sometimes up to three hours with my gym buddy. But I've learned that that's not the best way to go about things if your goal is to progress in any way, whether that be shape or aesthetics or even strength. So, since my splits are mainly push-pull legs or upper-lower, that's what I'm doing right now. And in case you didn't already know, if you are looking for chest exercises to bring up your chest, then these exercises will help you. But a huge part of growing muscles in general is going to be frequency, and that's why I mentioned the splits. Those splits, the push-pull legs or the upper-lower that means you're doing your chest more times per week, and that can be beneficial for you. And it'll also help you practice those movements more throughout the week, and that gives you more form practice, basically. So first up, I mean, we can't really talk about doing chest exercises unless we're going to talk about the granddaddy exercise of them all, which is barbell benching. And there's flat, but there's also decline, which I don't believe should be done, or it, I don't think it should be a staple in your routine, but I do believe that an incline barbell bench is actually more important these days, since most people are just so focused on the flat bench, when incline chest should probably be more of a focus for most people, 
because I want to say more than 90% of people will just go straight to the flat bench when they have to hit chest. And that's probably because you can hit more weight on flat as opposed to doing an incline variation. And in terms of overall growth, incline bench press may actually be more important because people do it less than they should. Or people always think about incline chest as a secondary movement on a chest day or on a push day. So if you want to grow a more full chest, I think incline barbell or even using dumbbells would be the way to go. So dumbbells, and these are going to be pretty important in your training because they'll correct any imbalances you might have. And for me, even right now specifically, I always remember to do some dumbbell work, whether I'm working on a flat or incline bench. And that's because, again, I dislocated my left shoulder, and I hate saying that every single episode. But because my left shoulder was injured, it has created a bit of an imbalance in my body. So the left side of my body is actually a little bit weaker than my right side. And it's not a huge difference, but with dumbbells, because the arms are working independently or by themselves, that'll make sure that my left arm catches up in terms of strength and size. If I were to solely or only use barbells to try to fix this, it might actually make the problem worse. Using dumbbells also could give you slightly more range of motion as well. If you think about doing a barbell exercise, when you're lowering that weight, your chest will stop you from going even lower in that movement. So you might not be getting a complete stretch at the bottom of the movement. And when you're using dumbbells, you can actually go a tiny bit lower on the eccentric part of the lift, so that could give you that extra range of motion, even if it is just slightly. You're also likely able to get slightly more of a contraction at the top because you can bring your hands in a bit, but when you're using a barbell, your hands are in that fixed position. Alright, so incline bench and doing dumbbells can be great when it comes to chest exercises that you can do. But you should also be incorporating some fly movements into your chest days as well. Just so you can, again, get a good stretch and contraction for those pectorals to grow. And another movement I like to do are cable flies. This one has become one of my favorite variations of the fly. And that's because you can change up the angle when you're using the cables. You can put the handle attachment at the top to do some kind of decline cable flies. Or you can put the handles at the bottom, so that way you're bringing the weight up and out in front of you, and that's an incline cable fly variation too. With the cables, there's also constant tension, especially when you compare it to a dumbbell fly where there's not much resistance at the top of the movement. I also think that there's more chance at a larger range of motion since on the cables, you can even cross over at the end of the movement especially when compared to doing dumbbells. Because at the top of the movement when you're doing dumbbells, like I said, there isn't much resistance because gravity isn't really acting on it and you can't really cross the dumbbells at the top of the movement because they'll just bang into each other, obviously. One more movement that I think gets overlooked when it comes to doing your chest is actually dips. So dips can be done to target the triceps, but they can also be done to target your chest as well. 
if you're doing dips to hit your triceps, it's better to keep your elbows tight to your body and be in a more upright position as well. But if you're looking to hit chest by doing dips, then you have to kind of manipulate your body to get into a position where your upper body is slightly leaning forward. And if doing body weight dips are too easy for you, then you can grab those pull-up belts, which would work for this movement. If you don't have a belt, then you can just squeeze a dumbbell between your legs while you're doing dips, and that'll add more resistance. So when it comes to chest movements, those are some of the best, I believe. You don't just want to stick to only doing barbell flat bench every single session. If that's what you have been doing, then switch it up. Use dumbbells to extend that range of motion a bit and to have those hands working independently. You can find that helps you also push through a plateau. Switch it up every now and then so that your body doesn't adapt to what you're doing to it. That's why something like an inclined chest movement, whether that be barbell or dumbbell, is going to be important because most people think of that movement as a secondary kind of exercise usually. Alright, so to wrap it up, an incline movement of some sort, don't forget to throw in dumbbells into your routine, do cable flies for that constant tension, and you can even toss in some dips into your routine as well. Doing all that, and you should be able to see some chest progress within a few weeks. Question 2. How hard should you be working out? Now that the gyms are open, I've been getting this question a lot. Because the gyms have been closed for so long, people just believe that going in there on your first day, people just think, oh, let me just push everything to the limit so that I can get closer to being back to my old physique or my old strength. And I've talked about this already before, but if you've had time off from the gym, whether that be because they're closed because of government stuff and the pandemic, or you're coming back from an injury, the first thing you need to do when you step into the gym is just take it easy and just go through the motions. If you haven't been working out with the weights you've been used to and you spent most of the past few months just sitting around, you're going to be weaker than you once were. There's really no way around that. And that's normal and that's okay because with muscle memory, if you write a good program for yourself, you'll be able to bounce back pretty quickly. So how hard should you be working out? Well, those first few sessions in the gym should be mainly used to gauge your strength and basically relearn those movements again. I spent the first week or two doing just that with myself and with my clients. That meant using pretty lightweight, and for someone like me, that meant around 75% of what I was doing three months ago. And you might notice that your strength went even lower than that if you've had even more time off than I have. So for more specific numbers, I hit a 305 bench double in April just three months ago. And my first gym session back in the gym, which was two weeks ago, I hit a 185 bench for eight reps. And that was actually pretty easy, but at first it's better to underestimate your strength uh, when you're just getting back into the gym and back into the groove of lifting again. So after that initial period of figuring out your starting strength, we can really start to write a more solid program in order to make progress going forward. 
After that's all done, we can really answer the question of how hard you should be working out. So when you're in the groove, you've spent your week or so testing out your strength, making sure to get those cobwebs out of those joints and stuff. Like I said at the beginning, um, a lot of people believe that just going to failure every set or going to a point where your spotter is helping you on the last few reps, that that's going to be the way to push the most amount of blood and elicit the most amount of growth in your muscles. And I do think that there's a time and place for this kind of training where you're pushing to failure. But for 99% of people out there, you probably need to back off and not be going to failure for every single set, especially if you're young or inexperienced. When working out, you should be working at an RPE of 8, according to the studies. So basically that scale is out of 10. I've mentioned this before. RPE stands for Rate of Perceived Exhaustion, so this scale is out of 10. So if going to failure is an RPE of 10, that means that you can't do another rep on your own. 10 out of 10 difficulty. What an RPE of 8 means, or 8 out of 10, that means that judging your own ability, you could do two more reps on your own without your form breaking. Alright, so here's the thing about that though, when it comes to RPE and also RIR, which is reps in reserve. So that's basically the opposite of RPE. So reps in reserve, that's exactly what it means. How many reps you think you have, literally. So here's the thing when it comes to RPE and RIR. People exercising or training usually underestimate how many reps that they have until they'll fail. Now, as a personal trainer, I get this all the time. A client will tell me, oh, I don't think I can do anymore. But as an experienced personal trainer, I had to obviously learn that over time and with experience with my clients. When I'm training someone in person, one-on-one, it's a bit easier to tell just how many reps that person has left in the tank, even though they're telling me that they can only do one or two more. Some giveaways, uh, you'll be able to see it in their face, or you'll start to see their rep tempo slow down a bit during the hard part of the lift, or the concentric part. Now at first, I'll listen to them, but eventually... When that same person becomes more experienced, I'll slowly start to push them a little bit more because generally people do underestimate just how strong they are. So if I say to work out to an RPE of 8 or an RIR of 2, so 2 reps left, usually most people will only be going to something like an RPE of 5 or they can still probably do 5 more reps without their form breaking too much. And this is actually pretty common and it's pretty normal to see. So I may say to work to an RPE of 8, but for some people listening, that may actually mean training harder than you're used to, so that your muscles actually do get enough of a workout. Judging your RPE or RIR if you're inexperienced, that's going to be pretty tough for most people because... Most people will believe that they're closer to failure or failing their reps than they actually are. Like I said, at first, it's better to underestimate. But after a month or two, you should really start to be pushing it a bit more than you're used to because you're probably capable of a bit more than what you think. 
So when it comes to working out in the gym, working to an actual RPE of eight while pushing yourself uh, is going to be how hard you should be going in the gym if you're looking to make progress in any way, whether that be strength, aesthetics, or performance when it comes to resistance training. Doing that in combination with a good workout routine where you're generally hitting 10 to 20 sets per body part per week, focus on that and a good high-protein diet. Do that consistently for a few weeks or months and you should see great progress. Just master the basics when you're starting out. And don't forget that rest is an important factor as well. And that concludes episode 46 of the podcast. Thank you for listening. If you really enjoyed the episode or my podcast as a whole, then please leave a review and comment on iTunes or whatever your choice of podcast platform is. Also, if you haven't already, you should hit that subscribe button because I'll be releasing episodes every Friday. If you want to follow me, your host, I'm Isaiah.Copon on Instagram. And you can also check out my website, IsaiahCopon.com. If you want to follow the podcast, you can check out at Lift and Learn Podcast on Instagram. And there's also a Facebook page if you just search Lift and Learn Podcast.